where you see people who are talking about like the ownership economy, who are interested in building startups on the basis of incentivizing early adoption. And that's one trajectory that makes sense for some projects. But other projects have to figure out their product market fit, maybe. Maybe they have to do a bunch of work in order to convince people to get on board for what they're doing. And we, in particular, need a few more strategies for how to build community ownership into the startup trajectory and into the stories we tell and also into the financing pathways. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host, Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. In today's episode, we explore how entrepreneurship within cooperative movements helps to drive community ownership in the online economy. We're excited to be joined by Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at the University of Colorado Boulder, who we know from the early days of the platform co-op movement when he participated in the first ever WeShareFest in 2013. The very fact that WeShareFest brought Nathan together with Trevor Schultz for the first time is telling of what a powerful space that WeShareFest provides. And this year, WeShareFest is back, organized next week right at the outskirts of Paris from 23rd to 25th of June. Check it out at WeShareFest2021.com. Currently, Nathan Schneider directs the Media Enterprise Design Lab, and he has written books on cooperative enterprise, the Occupy movement, God and the Internet. He is truly fascinated by the chronicling of ideas, of perfect worlds, of ordinary imaginations in practice. With his experimental attitude, Nathan believes that every word is a hypothesis and a test. Tune into this episode as we explore the cooperative movement and the different forms of community opportunities it provides. We also discuss benevolent dictatorship, levels of community participation, multi-stakeholder structures, and what we mean by community. Now, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Nathan Schneider. Hello, everyone. So we are back at the Boundaryless Conversations podcast. Today, I'm here with my usual co-host, Stina Heikila. Hello, everyone. With us, we have Nathan Schneider. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you. And uh, we're really looking forward to catch up with Nathan, whose work we follow since several years now. We've been meeting uh, in 2013, we were just uh, catching up uh, where our last uh, real-life meetup it was at the Wisher Fest. Yeah, I mean, 2013 sounds like... Uh, Many years ago, it was the, the same year uh, I came up for the first time with Platform Design Toolkit and uh, Nathan was already, you know, wrangling with this idea of uh, cooperative ownership of platforms and how do, do you rethink uh, the ways that internet-based uh, organizations, uh, what we call platforms, uh, could be retold from the ownership perspective. So, uh, Nathan, I, I would be really curious to... You know, if you can just give our listeners a kind of highlight of the story, how it started and, you know, how the Platform Corp movement unfolded uh, for you and where you are uh, basically now. Sure. Um, well, I, I really uh, have a, 
a lot of gratitude for the the WeShare events because they were really they were really eye opening. The, these events in Paris. If anybody's not familiar with with WeShare, O U I Share, it's a it's an organization that that came up around this idea of the collaborative economy and the sharing economy. Right at the moment where people were starting to have this kind of deep ambivalence about the platform economy. Right, so you had the convenience starting to arise of companies like the Ubers and Airbnbs and blah blah car and all these, and these companies were kind of present in that we share nexus. But there were also people in that conversation who were who were skeptical and who were um, uh, and who were calling into question some of the patterns and practices uh, of this of this phenomenon. It was actually at a, a we share event that I met. Trevor Schultz, even though we lived both in New York City at the time, uh, we first met uh, in Paris at WeShare. Um, I was actually grateful for something he said on a panel about, about how the sharing economy was taking away things that workers had fought for for generations. And that combination of excitement about what platforms could provide and also a kind of deep skepticism and, and concern about where uh, they were heading you know, was motivating for both of us to build, you know, what he coined as platform cooperativism, this vision for bringing uh, the old cooperative business model of, of co-ownership and co-governance by participants in, uh, in an organization and a venture um, to the online economy where it really hadn't, hadn't taken root um, much at all yet. You know, and, and for years we were organizing conferences on platform cooperativism, helping to support businesses getting going. I, I co-founded a, um, an accelerator called Start.coop that focuses on new generation cooperative businesses um, and, and, and lots more stuff. But we've been trying to build uh, an ecosystem so that it's easier for, uh, for startups to use this uh, to use this model. And in the process, we've also had to recognize all the deep barriers, uh, deep challenges there are for people trying to build cooperative businesses, you know, in the online economy. I mean, that was great. I didn't know that you met at the Wish Fest. So it was a discovery for me. And, uh, you know, it helps me realize uh, how much this space that we created in, in early 2010 was really a rich context of, uh, of conversation. And I think I really miss that space, you know, and to some extent, uh, for those that were there, I think uh, you, can, you can imagine. But coming back to the, to, the, to the conversation, from the very start of this platform co-op uh, movement, you know, I think I was extremely interested. Uh, uh, but uh, I, if I recall the first uh, years of even my work as a designer, as a strategist, uh, and as a thought leader in this space, uh, I was often pointing out, uh, uh, not just towards, I think, the platform co-op movement, but uh, also, I must say, towards the commons and peer-to-peer movement. So I recall, for example, some conversations with uh, Michel Bowen around this. Uh, The fact that uh, to really achieve the full potential of this vision of building platforms that uh, could generate large-scale impacts and really transform entire industries, it was not just a matter of governance. You know? It was not just a matter of ownership, but it was uh, the question that I think the Buffon Co-op movement didn't really capture at the very start, and now increasingly does, and I would love if you can spend some words on that, uh, 
I was exactly this idea of entrepreneurship and um, this need of what recently Ethereum founder uh, Vitalik Buterin called uh, the uh, this um, uh, called uh, the benevolent dictatorship that you need at the at the start, you know, of, of course, of of a startup or a, at the start of creating a new product or a new vision or entrepreneurial vision. So how did the, the movement uh, catch up with that and uh, what kind of main uh, major transformations in the idea of a platform co-op happened in the last uh, few years that now help you to integrate, let's say, this idea of the early stage entrepreneur that is needed to get things uh, off the ground? I've always uh, appreciated the, that critique that you've made about the importance of entrepreneurship. And it's something that it's a an approach that I share. I, I Over the years, I've worked with a bunch of people who are interested in like cooperatives or some vision that they have of cooperatives and want to start a cooperative just because they like the idea of cooperatives. Um, but they're not really motivated by um, a core um, need or business um, vision or even a, you know, a community of, of interest. It's, it's kind of more theoretical. And that's where um, I think that that critique is is really strong, but if if you look at the history of cooperative movements, um, they have had precisely these kinds of entrepreneurs, really amazing people, often who um, whose stories have not um, have not been told nearly enough. Um, you know, think of for instance like Alphonse Desjardins, who virtually single handedly brought the credit union movement to North America, first in Canada and then literally brought it to the United States, um, where he was supported by Edward Filene, uh, a um, department store magnate to spread the the vision around the country. Um, And wherever you overturn a powerful cooperative movement, you find powerful entrepreneurs. And I think it's really important to, to tell those stories and recognize that, yes, even though cooperatives are about shared ownership and 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 community ownership, um, it's still okay and still really I I think quite necessary to have amazing leaders um, and to also have those leaders able to hold and implement their their visions with accountability from the community. It, it you know another thing that people often mistake about cooperatives is that. It's just like the mass of people, this amorphous mass of people who are making every decision. And, and that's virtually never the case, except in, 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 the, um, in cases of quite small uh, uh, cooperatives where, you know, you might be able to make decisions by consensus. Generally, you know, you have some kind of leadership and accountability structure. And, and the major difference with another kind of company is, is really just how the ultimate decision makers are chosen um, and how some of the biggest decisions might be made. Um, but in other ways, it's absolutely important to empower um, motivated um, uh, people with, with strong visions to be leaders within their, within their cooperatives. And, and you know, in, in my book, Everything for Everyone, I was really interested in trying to hold up some of those stories of, uh, of leaders who are not, you know, solitary salvif- salvific figures of the of the Steve Jobs mold, but who, you know, are still very much leaders and um, and who who saw value in being leaders for the communities who would ultimately own their businesses. Um, when Vitalik uh, Buterin talks about 
dictator, benevolent dictators. You know, that's a term that comes from um, from open source communities. Uh, uh, you know, the most famous one is Linus Torvalds, the founder of, of, of Linux. And um, I think one of the problems, and this is something I know Vitalik has himself, you know, suffered from, is that we have benevolent dictators in a lot of online communities, but we don't have an off-ramp for them. You know, Vitalik is struggling to get his community to take ownership of the thing that he that that he helped build. Um, and yet he's kind of shocked that even in this decentralized uh, uh, protocol of Ethereum, uh, there is so much reliance on his kind of centralized uh, authority. And so I think the real problem is not, you know, the, the leadership. The problem is to make sure that, that organizations are able to mature from having um, that strong leadership at the outset toward having appropriate accountability uh, as the organization matures. And there, I think the cooperative tradition has a lot to offer uh, the online economy right now. What is the market thesis? No, so, so basically, you said uh, uh, you said something very interesting when when you were starting this uh, this section, when when you basically said um, sometimes these these people thinking about powerful co-op, they didn't even have a community no, or a reference community in mind or a product idea. That feels like a bit like a dual option. No, so so you. Um, you may have a context where you start uh, addressing, uh, let's say, a, a need, uh, a you know, more general need. Uh, so you're talking about, for example, you know, these uh, internet platforms that solve a problem, let's say, that is fairly applicable, you know, at a global scale or in general with, without many constraints. You know, you, we can think about, you know, for example, uh, the Stocksy or something like that, you know, or that. You know, basically, this problem of selling pictures to, to publishers—it's general. No, there is no real need of a, a community at the onset. You know, of this of this process of developing this product. It's more like a product. It's going to solve the problem. It's going to give new economic opportunities to people. You know, that's where platforms come. Uh, you know, the, in this direct direct to customer space, this is where these ideas come from. No, and on the other hand, you have another context which may be more like. You know, we have a, we already have a community, and this community needs to take over some kind of venture building. You know, it needs to build some entrepreneurial, you know, effort to strengthen their capabilities, to uh, you know, reach markets, or even to create more resilience. You know, so I'm thinking about uh, a kind of different thesis to start an, an organization that is more like community driven. You know, it's more like uh, it needs a community even before you actually have the entrepreneur. So I'm thinking about, you know, your work on the X2 community that seems to be a, a paradigm that fits very well with this idea of, you know, how do we transition, let's say, ownership and governance of a certain value creation system uh, that some entrepreneur creates at some, time, at some point, you know, by addressing a problem and giving an opportunity to create value to the, to the, you know, to the producers and consumers. And on the other hand, my question would be, do you see instead also another context which is more like requiring a different constituents, you know, for, for a new entrepreneurial and organizational development that is much more about, you know, community from the very first moment? So I, I, I'm curious to know if you see these two things in the platform co-op community, if there are these multiple, let's say, market-rich uh, theses and different contexts of product and organizational creation and that could express different needs and, and paths, you know, in evolving from and about around the role of an entrepreneur. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need multiple options. That's that's really key. In some cases, it is going to make sense to start with a community and uh, and and build from it. You know, some projects have just a very clear value proposition. People immediately get excited about it, and it's the community that can power it. So um, there, you think of um, you know the. Uh, things that that do well on Kickstarter, right? That that do well on, on crowdfunding campaigns. They have an idea that immediately draws people to them. And um, and there the idea is let's let's use community ownership as a way of incentivizing early adoption. So, you know, there you see um, people who are talking about like the ownership economy, um, people like Jesse Walden um, of Variant Fund, who are interested in building startups on the basis of um, incentivizing early adoption. And that's one trajectory that makes sense for some projects. But other projects, you know, they have to um, figure out their product market fit. Maybe Um, maybe they have to do a bunch of work in order to convince people to get on board for what they're doing. And maybe they need some early you know, they, they have an investor or two who sees promise in this, but they need some runway in order to persuade um, a larger number of people uh, that this is something worthwhile for them. And in that kind of case, something like exit to community is is uh, a more appropriate framework. You know, I, I don't think we want infinite stories. I think it's really useful to have, you know, a lot of isomorphism, a lot of similarity um, among different projects, because it enables you to, you know, replicate and um, and ease the pathway for all of them. Um, but I do think we need a few more options, and we, in particular, need a few more strategies for how to build community ownership into the startup trajectory, and into the stories we tell, and also into the financing pathways. And unfortunately, the you know the venture capital model that we've built the startup that, you know, the tech startup world on um, doesn't work very well for this stuff, particularly in the context of current financial regulations, which when it comes down to it, they um, support um, investors doing things that they don't support groups of people doing. So um, investors can come in and um, they can even borrow money to then invest in a um, uh, in a project and not even putting up their own money and enable something to happen that has high capital uh, costs and that sort of thing. Like, for instance, putting a, uh, a broadband network in an urban community that's really underserved. You know, an investor can do that, but the people who live there really can't raise the money on their own uh, to do that. And you know that there to me in both for both the cooperative model and um, other kinds of approaches supported by exit to community um, are are really hindered by the fact that they that groups of people can't access capital uh, in the way that solitary wealthy investors or or organizational investors can. Um, that's something that I think is a pain point we run into all the time. It's something also we have to recognize we've addressed in the past. Whenever I get frustrated about like the fate of the cooperative, you know, the platform cooperatives or or whatever, I'm always I always remind myself there's a hundred thirty billion dollar cooperative bank down the road from me. Um, it was set up for farmers um, over the course of the last century. 
uh, using both a, a mix of entrepreneurship and public policy um, and in very specific parts of the economy, um, we have had policy established that enables groups of people to access capital in order to build um, uh, community-owned businesses. Um, but those have been very narrow and targeted. Um, I think what we need to recognize is the, the need for a much more general, flexible framework through which um, people can do these things as a matter of course. Um, in order to get there, we need experiments to show the value of what community ownership can look like. You know, you mentioned the case of Stocksy United. That platform has been very successful um, as a as a platform for um, artist-owned stock photo and video. And they were able to get started because the founders happened to be part of an earlier exit and had a million dollars they could lend to the company to get going. Um, most entrepreneurs don't have that. But it Stocksy is a demonstration of what can happen when capital is available. And it's that kind of um, widespread availability uh, that, that a bunch of us are trying to figure out, you know, so that people who are trying to build community-owned businesses are not at such an incredible disadvantage compared to those who are trying to build for investors. I actually, I wanted to ask you, Nathan, if you could double-click a bit on when you talk about community uh, ventures or community-owned businesses, if you could double-click a bit on this community aspect and who is in this community. And in particular, I would be interested to hear this in relation to platforms, no? because I know that you've written about this, how you identify the stakeholders and the users and how to decide sort of who is in and who is out and how do you measure contributions and, and value and those kind of aspects that I'm sure that many would be interested in when thinking about, especially in the online economy, what communities and users are we talking about here and, and what role do they play? Thank you. Yeah, it's a it's an intentionally vague term, so I'm glad you you um, you called me on it. Um, yeah, community is basically a, a meaningless word that stands in for a lot of things that hopefully are are much more meaningful. And you know, the reason I I use it is just that um, is that it it uh, it varies so much um, from project to project, and we want to we want to make space for that. Um, so in the context of a, um, you know, like something like a social media platform that maybe the community is all the users, but th what they want out of their ownership might be very different from, um, say, a plat uh, you know, a ride sharing platform where the community might be the drivers. Um, the drivers are in it mainly for income. And so, you know, their goal would be to, you know, to own the company in a way so that it, you know, gets them a, a fair wage for the work they're doing. Whereas users of a social media platform might be um, more interested, not so much in getting paid for like interacting with their friends, but in protecting their privacy and having oversight and having a say in um, in what kinds of messages are and aren't allowed on the on the platform. Uh, so it it can really vary. We see some interest um, these days in multi stakeholder structures where you incorporate many different kinds of stakeholders. So that might be um, employees of the company and users of it, um, maybe different sides of the platform, like the, you know, the service providers and the, and the consumers. Um, I tend to um, 
be a little skeptical of 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 that kind of complexity. I think uh, there are a lot of good reasons to really focus on on one stakeholder group that's really core to um, to a business, if if at all possible, because um, it just enables you to to focus and to have um, a bit more clarity uh, in terms of governance. Um, but I can also see arguments for that more complex strategy. Um, the what it comes down to really though is that it it depends. It also depends who has capital. If part of their role is to bring capital into the business, for instance, in many cases in the cooperative um, model, um, we have businesses as the owners. So one new example of this is uh, a co-op um, that's starting to spread around the United States now called Loco, which is a, a food delivery platform, but it's owned by restaurants. And one reason that it's owned by restaurants rather than say drivers is, you know, the restaurants have cash flow that drivers don't have. So they're able to really invest in the business together and get these things going in new cities. Um, and they have clearly a, an incentive to, um, to, uh, to, to build alternative businesses that they, they own and control. So yeah, that community can vary so much. And, um, it's, you know, what, what we face in trying to build community owned businesses is that challenge of just identifying what is the core stakeholder group in your business. And when I talk to founders, as I do, you know, virtually every day, um, I, that's, that's always, you know, the first question. Um, and often they'll start out with, um, you know, talking about all their different stakeholders, but usually it will kind of distill down to one clear group that they really, you know, who, you know, one way of thinking about it is who do you want to be worrying about when you, you know, lying awake at night, trying to make a big decision? Cause that's ultimately what stakeholders are for. Do you want to be worried about your investors? Do you want to be worried about your, your employees? Do you want to be worried about your, you know, your customers? Um, you know, that question sometimes distills most clearly um, what a community means for a given platform. Thank you so much for, for, for this. I think this brings me to a farther question that uh, uh, that connects with your recent paper that you published on Churchtown Low Tech Review. I was fascinated to read the article and, and see how you went very deep into explaining three actual um processes, I would say, of exiting to community, you know, and, uh, and, and so I would like to, for you to maybe explain a bit to our listeners these three approaches uh, and how they connect uh, with the nature of business and the nature of community that you're talking about. So uh, these three approaches, uh, let me recall, uh, I'm talking about uh, creating a stockholding trust and, and then, you know, shifting these stocks to, to the community. Then the federation pattern that is more, you know, applicable in terms of, you know, technological choices and uh, tokenization. Huh? That is uh, how do you leverage basically on the new possibilities that blockchain gives us as uh, economic space designers and entrepreneurs. So it would be great if you can double click on those three patterns quickly and uh, connect those patterns to particular nature of the community and the business and when a particular pattern could be more uh, applicable, you know, as a way also to, um, you know, generate interest in our listeners uh, that are entrepreneurs and then th thinking about, you know, where should I look into as, a, as an entrepreneur to, to think about that. Also because, you know, my feeling is, uh, and this is also something that maybe you can you can quickly touch upon, 
my feeling is that uh, choosing to exit to community now it makes uh, a long you know it comes cancel it's kind of a ch- choice to go long term you know it's like you know i want this to be something that stands uh time you know it, 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 to do that you need to be more embedded in the community you know you need to be more uh, um defensible let's say in a positive way in a way that uh, uh makes you uh, root, root for the long term you know for for the long haul with your community yeah um well thank you for that that um the paper uh uh the this law review paper i i want to make sure to acknowledge was co-authored with morshed manan who's a really um, brilliant legal scholar working at the intersection of um, of cooperatives and and blockchains and and has been an amazing partner in this work. And the proposals that we articulate really come from um, a question of, okay, if we, um, let's consider for a moment that like the um, cooperative model or community ownership is not just a single ownership structure. Um, I think sometimes often our um, uh, people interested in this stuff get fixated on an ownership structure as if like the goal is the means. Um, and um, and I think that's really a, a mistake, particularly when we're undertaking new challenges. Um, often we're dealing with legal structures designed for very different kinds of challenges. And so we need to be opportunistic and, you know, the capitalists are opportunistic, you know, they, they'll use a zillion shell companies to do whatever they need to do. Um, And, um, and, and similarly, I think it's important for community ownership, the, you know, the movement for community ownership and the cooperative movement more generally to explore whatever tools we can possibly get in order to create the kinds of outcomes that uh, that our communities need, and so we we look at a few different ones here. the The trust model, um, the idea of holding a company in a trust, comes from the um, the history uh, in the U.S. Uh, as well as in in Europe, particularly the U.K. Um, of, of in the U.S. It's called the Employee Stock Ownership Plan or ESOP, which is a structure that actually does enable financed um, worker ownership um, conversions, um, and uh, uh, in, in the UK, it's uh, it, it goes by different names. Um, but basically, the idea is to um, to simplify the process by centralizing the ownership in a trust that is governed by a trustee, and making the conversion process a little more streamlined. It does come at the costs of of some reduced. Um, you know, participant governance and and so forth, but it has some some real advantages as well. So we explore what that could look like in the context of the of the online economy, where those older models haven't really been applied. Uh, we also look at this again, a historic example of federation um, businesses that are composed of different businesses, different smaller businesses. So what would it look like to have a platform where you know, like imagine Reddit. Um, rather than being one big company, what if each subreddit was its own company and they co-owned Reddit together? Um, And so more of the control and ownership was, um, maybe it's not held by every user, but it's much more distributed across the system, across the network. And and there are many ways in which that kind of model actually reflects um, the structure of our, the technical structure of our networks themselves. 
And then the, the final one that we look at is, is tokenization, you know, using blockchain like technologies. Um, this stuff is a little tricky from a regulate, regulatory perspective. Uh, a lot of the rules haven't really been figured out yet, but it does seem like there is some real potential for using tokens to, um, uh, to explore, uh, uh, to, to create uh, shared ownership and to really extend that into the companies themselves. Um, and so w- we explore some of the ways in which that, that could be. Uh, all of these really treat ownership as um, something that is malleable. Um, I, I uh, did a paper, uh, uh, the subtitle of which is called Capitalist Media. You know, it's the same idea that lawyers talk about ownership as a bundle of rights, you know, a bunch of things that can can that look very different in different circumstances. Um, I think of, you know, ownership as a, a canvas that we need to um, play with and explore that can take many, many different forms. Um, and and the challenge before us now in building, you know, trustworthy and powerful and satisfying platforms is to recognize the, the need to not just take for granted um, some of the models of ownership that have been absorbed into this into this ecosystem, into the startup world, but to play and to see ownership itself as something that we need to make a kind of community art with. And that the paper is kind of an invitation for lawyers uh, into, into that kind of play. I hope lawyers are willing to go along with it. You know, some of our, uh, you know, so, some of the people who've accompanied me most closely in, in all this work over the years have been, you know, some of those few lawyers who are both, you know, deeply attached to the law and also willing to explore its, its untapped potential. And we wrote that paper kind of to, to convert more of those types of people into our, into our world. There was one point that I wanted to double-click underline for our listeners. So, so this idea that uh, we have been talking so long for platform, about Platform Corp and, you know, similar patterns uh, emerge with other topics. But I think at the end of the day, the whole conversation was really strangling. You know, the, the, the real multiplicity and the real, uh, uh, you know, several uh, dimensions and the spectrums across those dimensions uh, uh, that the conversation should have been focusing on. So, I mean, you know, for example, you know, not just ownership, but also uh, profit sharing, key decisions, uh, taking key decisions, uh, data and IP ownership, uh, interoperability. Uh, so all these things are, are dimensions of how you build a venture that, uh, you know, maybe we have been focusing too much of this world, you know, this idea of, you know, sharing ownership of the internet uh, ventures, uh, but we really didn't make much advancements in terms of uh, schematizing, for example, the, the design dimensions that we had as uh, entrepreneurs. And uh, we ended up in kind of being framed too much in, in the limiting spaces that we have been creating. So we haven't been very much, I would say, ambitious in thinking about what a venture could be, could have been, you know, in terms of uh, playing out uh, along uh, along these dimensions. And, and Stina, uh, let me hand it over to you because I know that you want to, you know, kind of uh, uh, insist on some of these aspects. Thank you. I'm curious about how to make this equation work. We had a, uh, just released a, an episode talking about this ecosystem enabling entrepreneurial organization. Now probably I got the wrong <laughs> order, but listeners will know what I'm talking about. I'm thinking about this question of participation. So if you have 
this kind of uh, community or whatever model you choose, uh, essentially, how important is it that everyone participates and can there be different levels of participation? I'm just wondering how important is it if one group uh, takes more over? How inclusive do you have to be? What are your considerations there? Because, of course, maybe if you're more inclusive, it can slow things down. And that might have been a traditional problem with uh, sort of more traditional co-ops as well. So if you can provide some thoughts on that, that would be great. Yeah, I, you know, and, and my work in the last couple of years has started to veer more and more into imagining the future of governance, um, because it, that, it, that has been so much, an unanswered question, um, throughout the, the efforts around cooperatives and that sort of thing. And, and, um, it also has bigger ramifications around politics and, and, and so forth. But, um, yeah, if you can imagine like how many apps do you have on your phone, right? Um, and what if you had to like participate in the annual meeting or a weekly meeting or every decision of each of those? Um, that sounds really, really overwhelming and unpleasant um, and, and, and is absolutely not what I think we, we want here. Um, you know, there are a lot of ways in which, in which co-ownership can be pretty passive and um, appropriately so, and it, it makes sense to, to stay that way. Um, you know, there, for instance, the um, credit union that I'm a member of, you know, that has the mortgage on my house and stuff like that, you know, I, I don't really want to participate in that in, in, in any day-to-day decision-making there, but I am quite invested in it and it's a major institution in my community. So I have actually gone to the annual meetings and, and, you know, raised issues that I think they're not handling very well. Um, other things, uh, you know, an app I use or, a, uh, you know, a product I buy or a place I, I get my, get order groceries or something, you know, I might not want to participate at all. I'd trust the people who are, um, who, who have a deeper passion for those things to, uh, to run it. And, um, and yet still I'm grateful that they are running it with at least the, the, um, notion that they are, um, running it on my behalf and the expectation that they're running it on my behalf. Um, so a lot of the, um, a lot of these questions, I think, can can be addressed by trusting that we can create layered structures that enable people to allocate their time reasonably. Um, in historically, we've done that a lot with electing boards. That's the typical way, both in investor-owned companies and in cooperatives, that we handle, you know, delegate authority so that most people don't have to be worrying about most questions most of the time. Um, online. Uh, uh, platforms and technology introduce some really interesting uh, new ways to do delegation, you know, more fluidly. You know, this idea of liquid democracy is an example where you delegate somebody to vote for you um, based on your perception of their expertise in maybe just one area. So I could, you know, delegate Stina to vote for me on issues related to economic policy, but maybe uh, I'll delegate to somebody else to, uh, on issues related to, to foreign policy whose, whose perspectives I really trust. But there's a lot of experimentation in that stuff going on right now in, in, um, in for instance, the blockchain world where they're kind of inventing new governance systems uh, from scratch. And I have these kind of 
conversations with blockchain people all the time where they're making discoveries that like the rest of the world kind of came to a long time ago. Uh, like for instance, they, you know, I, I ha I've been having conversations lately where they're complaining that, you know, only three to 5% of people are, are participating in a vote on a good day. And, you know, I remind them, yeah, that's what cooperatives have been experiencing for generations. Um, let's design with that in mind rather than trying to get everybody to vote on everything. And we've done this sort of thing before. We've created structures of trusteeship or representation that we've more or less felt able to trust. And I think it's really exciting to be able to explore that question anew um, in the context of the wide variety of things that platforms and other organizations do in our lives. We're in the process of entering a, a kind of new evolution on uh, of democracy uh, that is much more accountable, that enables us to be citizens of many more kinds of things all at once, um, while at the same time being able to judiciously focus our attention on the things that we most feel called and equipped uh, to participate in. Um, and so, so, you know, the, just as, you know, a, uh, you know, an individual investor might have stock in many, many, many companies and have forms of trusteeship uh, that, that they trust to ensure that those companies are acting in their best interests. Um, I think we can do that with forms of community ownership where we can, um, you know, be involved in democracies of many kinds all at once um, without having to uh, without having to uh, participate in ways that go beyond our expertise or that uh, go beyond you know the availability of our attention. Um, you know, it's that question of you know what what does this future uh, look like that I think is you know is being explored now by a bunch of of really uh, creative pioneers. I mean, that's very interesting, and I think it's a key point. You know? so, so let me try to expand uh, as a last, uh, let's say, reflection in, in this conversation a little bit on this. And uh, that example of people not showing up to vote, that was great. You know, it was really funny to, to hear, you know, That's, that, that I, I, I was thinking about you, you know, listening to this for the first time. And, and, uh, and, um, and it made me think about, uh, um, you know, this duality you know, between technology and capabilities. Uh, let's say with, between the idea of reducing the friction for organizing through technology and on the other hand, uh, being aware that uh, you still need uh, capabilities there and you still need uh, some kind of intentions and uh, energy and potential to organize. Uh, so you actually need, uh, you said, I think, uh, first you said, you know, we had uh, we didn't have the cooperativists. No? So I think uh, you really need the entrepreneurial capabilities. And, and this deals with uh, more generally capability building, let's say, on, in the community. So I'm curious if you can spend some words on, uh, on the work that you have been doing on modular uh, politics and uh, a more general, uh, you know, expanding to what extent, you know, reducing friction, uh, through technology, through modular technologies, composable technologies. Yeah, I, I, I can call it, you know, now there's a lot of people talking about this uh, money Legos. Now, so let's talk about uh, 
organizational Legos or cooperativism Legos, let's say, you know, how much can you achieve by just reducing friction and creating technologies that can help you organize and, and distribute governance and decision making and profit sharing and whatever to a community if you don't have the capabilities? And what is the role of capabilities building and uh, in building the capacity to organize, to take over, I would say, you know, big issues that we're going to face. You know, we're talking about uh, a lot of our work is focused on, for example, on this idea of essentials and, and economics around food, energy, uh, not sexy as an internet uh, consumer consumer startup would be, but, you know, still things that we need to take over because, you know, risks and, and you know, disruptions are coming. You know, we're talking about uh, climate change all the time, but this ends up in, you know, we have to deal with these new institutions. We have to create those. So what is the role of, technology and capabilities. And if you can connect this with modular politics, I would love to, to hear more about that. Yeah. So for me, the, the question of capabilities is is really important. And and this emerged kind of in my personal experience as a, as a kind of connector in the cooperative world is I was using online platforms, typical stuff from like simple email lists to Facebook and, and other things to, um, you know, to help connect um, people interested in this movement. And um, I started realizing, wow, you know, this is a bunch of people who, you know, are really into practicing democracy in their daily lives. But the tools that we have available to us are really, really bad for this. And, you know, they all assume this like admin dictatorship that the founder is the permanent sole power holder and the main mechanisms of um, of dealing with problems is censorship or exile <laughs> from the from the community spaces and it just struck me like wow this is a really impoverished tool set um, at the same time as i was starting to realize this you know my mother was had just been elected president of her local neighborhood garden club and i was just blown away by how much more sophisticated the governance tools available in that offline old world garden club were compared to like any of the online communities I was using. I started exploring also like the world of Wikipedia and, you know, started running a media wiki instance and realized none of the cool democratic structures in Wikipedia are actually in the software. You have to painstakingly uh, create those. And so then it kind of stands to reason why, you know, those benevolent dictatorships that we were talking about earlier are so persistent. Um, it took decades for, you know, the founder of Python to finally like relinquish his power through a, a process to like a reasonable board structure um, because all the technical tools around like GitHub and, and mailing lists and everything that people use to coordinate online um, is based on like very undemocratic uh, kinds of processes. And so I got kind of obsessed with, first of all, understanding that history. Why is it that um, these tools that are supposed to democratize, you know, access and power um, just don't have any means of enabling basic democratic processes? Um, and then started uh, working with this group called the Meta Governance Project to um, explore how things could be designed differently. And this is, you know, people who are working some in the blockchain world, some in sociology and social theory and doing uh, big data research on online communities, um, all exploring how, how we could build more accountable, appropriate um, tools 
uh, to enable people to practice, you know, basic reasonable democracy online. So the the modular politics paper, which was um, recently uh, published in the kind of com- computing um, journal, it proposes a uh, vision for a, a framework for online governance that is based on little modules rather than saying, okay, there's one true solution for, um, for online governance. Instead, as you said, Legos, you know, we want to be able to assemble pieces together. Um, I think of the metaphor because I've built a lot of WordPress sites of WordPress plugins, you know, where, you know, every time you build a new site, you have to cobble together a bunch of tools that people have built. And, you know, you build bring in your e-commerce thing and you bring in your newsletter plugin and and you bring in your social media plugin and suddenly you've got a real working website. Um, you know, I, I imagine something like that where people are able to um, cobble together the right mechanisms for uh, the kind of job that they're trying to accomplish, the kind of community that they're trying to um, that they're trying to build. And, and um, this idea has gotten some momentum to the point that we're now actually doing some building and, and um, in the process of building a prototype that, um, for instance, enables groups to, um, uh, on, on a Discord forum or um, in Slack or in Reddit, places that people exist already um, are able to carry out governance decisions um, have this software um, register that, for instance, a vote occurred or something like that, and actually implement uh, what was proposed in in the vote, um, with the goal that that now we have the ability to not just rely on admins to be the ultimate dictators of our online spaces, um, but we can create trustworthy processes in which. Um, in which the you know governance is kind of self-executing in many respects. Um, you know th- this is also stuff that people in the blockchain world are doing quite a bit, really realizing over the past few years, if nothing else, how how much there is to build. You know, a, a couple of years ago, it felt like there was that urge in the blockchain world to discover the one true mechanism of governance, right? And um, increasingly what I, we see is fragmentation where there's lots and lots of tools out there and they're all kind of composable with each other through the, the protocols they're working on. And that's really exciting to me because people are rediscovering just how complex and interesting and creative um, governance can be. And that seems to me like the beginnings of a renaissance where we're in the process of kind of reinventing, of catching up to my mother's garden club, we're also building the means to start in, uh, iterating and experimenting with forms of of democratic accountability that you know the world has never seen before. It seems like an inflection point, you know? so a moment where uh, software is eating the organization. Uh, so to some extent, we are seeing these. Uh, uh, co- co- coalescing of technology and organizing at a stage that we never really seen before, and um, and I really appreciate that you know that uh, there is this convergence between uh, people like you with your background, with your studies, and people from the blockchain community that are being you know you mentioned for example you have been in touch with people at Aragon, and we have been talking to people with Commons at Commons Stack and. 
and you know I'm gonna talk with uh, people at Colony very soon. So I think uh, we are seeing these things emerging. And uh, on our side, for example, we are also now um, you know developing uh, our organizational frameworks and translating them into software. So I, I think this it's really you know it really feels like an inflection point that we can can help us to go beyond, for example, the idea of a single organization and more into you know organizing at scale so how do we how can we maybe share some elements of uh, language of grammar of organizing that can enable us to connect across you know borders and, and achieve this scaling across that has been uh, i would say an objective of complexity uh, thinkers and systems thinkers for, for so long, you know, instead of just having to scale up by centralizing, you know, we have to deal with this, uh, we have to share a grammar, share a language of organizing that seems emerging. So I'm really nudging our listeners to look into your paper, Modular Politics, uh, with you and other, you know, uh, authors authors, and, and, and check, it, check it out. Uh, besides that, Nathan, as we close the conversation, I would like to ask you, uh, to just highlight for our listeners um, where uh, they should look into to catch up with your latest work and maybe if there is some exciting work you are doing uh, these days and some paper coming up or some events that uh, you're going to speak to, if you can also mention that, that would be great for our listeners to, to catch up with you. Sure. Well, um, you know, my my personal website is nathanschneider.info, um, but a lot of increasingly a lot of this work is... is um, happening through my lab at the University of Colorado Boulder called the Media Enterprise Design Lab. It's probably easier to search than to give the URL, but it's um, colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab. And um, we're doing events about every month, um, sometimes more. Um, uh, and, and a lot of these have to do with exit to community ideas or online governance uh, or other kinds of emerging things. Often what those um, come out of our, our um, you know, just something's happening that we want to understand better. And so we get the, the people who are doing it um, into an event to explain what they're up to. Um, and uh, so if, if you're interested in these kinds of conversations, please uh, follow our lab. One thing that we're doing this summer that I'm really excited about is, is an artist's residency for people who are exploring the future of online governance by looking to past and, and present offline governance practices and looking to how we can translate some of those um, some of those powerful legacies of human self-governance into our into our online spaces. Um, so if, if there are any artists out there uh, uh, or any people who like to support artists, um, love to hear from you and really excited about the kind of inspiration and and uh, and energy that that process will bring. Uh, but thank you so much for this. Um, it's I've I've admired your work over the years, uh, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Nathan, very much. You know, it's really, I, I feel like it's a start of a new kind of uh, collaborations and, and, you know, exchanges of, of ideas and notes in the coming, in the coming years. Uh, Stina, do you want to add something? Thank you for the conversation. And uh, I'm very grateful also, like Simone mentioned, that there is someone who is connecting those dots between uh, maybe the blockchain and with other thinking, making sometimes uh, these ideas a bit more accessible. Personally grateful also for for this. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you again. And uh, to our listeners, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversation podcast. We truly hope you enjoy the show. 
If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, or connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform and ecosystem strategies in these turbulent times. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.